Welcome to Challenge Radio, the official podcast of Progressive Labor Party. Progressive Labor Party fights to destroy capitalism and the dictatorship of the capitalist class. We organize workers, soldiers, and youth into a revolutionary movement for communism. On today's episode, we'll have a reading of the editorial, The Only Climate Solution is Communist Revolution, followed by a discussion on the growing threat of ecological collapse and the role of liberal misleaders in worsening the crisis. The only climate solution is communist revolution. On September 17, in a desperate campaign to stop global warming, thousands of climate activists, business leaders, government officials, and, quote, civil society representatives, unquote, will converge upon New York City for the 15th Annual Climate Week. Co-sponsored by the United Nations, an organization born in 1945 to serve U.S. imperialism and the post-war liberal world order, the event has a bold slogan, We can, we will. In reality, the reformists can't, and the capitalist bosses won't. After a summer of lethal heat waves, biblical floods, hot tub oceans, runaway wildfires, and toxic orange skies, liberal reforms cannot prevent wholesale catastrophe from climate change. Climate action has hit a wall. Greenhouse gas emissions set an all-time high in 2022, and will do so again in 2023. The rulers are wedded to heat-trapping fossil fuels for two fundamental reasons, maximum profit and inter-imperialist rivalry. From China to the United States, their system is falling into crisis. With fascism rising and World War III on the horizon, Capitalism has no answers for perpetual war, massive poverty, or resurgent infectious diseases. It surely has none for the vast challenge of climate change and the racist horrors we're witnessing in real time. Only a communist world, run by and for the international working class, can balance our needs for energy with the priorities of our health, safety, and development that serve our class interests. Only the working class can be trusted to make life and death decisions on how to heat and power our world, to build more safely run nuclear reactors, for example. There's no climate solution without communist revolution. Clean energy transition is dead in the water. Beginning in the 19th century, coal and oil and gas fueled the rise of capitalism. They bought millions of workers out of the cold. They created modern industry and transportation and modern wars for profit. But today, fossil fuels are exhibit A of capitalism and decay. They're filthy and inefficient and forced multipliers of racist inequality. Climate change is deadly for workers and for black and brown workers most of all. Nine million people a year die from the fine particulate matter linked to greenhouse gases. Half a million die from extreme heat alone. In 2022, climate disasters forced 100 million workers to flee their homes. One-third of Pakistan was underwater. In 2015, at a benchmark climate summit in Paris, the UN set a, quote, binding target for global warming of 2 degrees Celsius or 3.6 degrees Fahrenheit over pre-industrial levels. For context, the Earth has already warmed by 1.2 degrees Celsius. 
Based on current client policies, according to Columbia University physicist James Hansen, the planet will punch through the Paris ceiling before 2050. By 2100, within the lifetimes of children here today, the Earth projects to be at least 2.7 degrees hotter. That might not sound like much, but consider, the last ice age was triggered by a temperature shift of just 6 degrees Celsius. At 2.7 degrees of warming, scientists predict that the Earth will pass calamitous tipping points of no return. Coral reefs will go extinct. Polar glaciers will dissolve and drown islands around the globe. A billion or more climate migrants will be trapped between unbearable conditions and the boss's borders. Meanwhile, recent UN climate summits have been hijacked by big oil. The same monsters who for decades spewed climate disinformation alongside their carbon dioxide. This December's conference is set for the capitalist Disneyland of Dubai and the United Arab Emirates. Presiding will be Sultan al-Jaber, head of the state-owned energy company. Like Saudi Arabia, another immigrant slave state, the UAE is committed to unlimited exploitation of its oil and gas reserves to 2100 and beyond. Fossil fuels and imperialist plunder. Why can't the capitalist rulers tackle this existential threat? The short answer is that fossil fuels remain highly profitable, at least in the short term. And capitalism has a chaotically short-term outlook. After Russia invaded Ukraine, energy markets went haywire. The price of oil soared. The, quote, super majors, ExxonMobil, Chevron, Shell, BP, jumped plans to diversify into renewables. With lavish financing from the likes of J.P. Morgan Chase and Citi, they doubled down on their old business model. In 2022, they plowed $4 trillion of record windfall pro profits into dividends. In 2022, they plowed $4 trillion of record windfall profits into dividends, share buybacks, and expanded fossil fuel production. Barely half of 1% of their ill-gotten gains went towards clean energy. Exxon spent less than $3 billion on, quote, lower greenhouse gas emissions initiatives, unquote, and $23 billion on new oil and gas projects. Even as solar and wind prices have plunged and clean electricity runs much of the world's power grids, the fossil fuel sector keeps growing. When President Joe Biden rammed through his Inflation Reduction Act, media cheerleaders said it could stimulate $1 trillion in renewable energy investments. They glossed over the fact that Biden also greenlit the immense Willow Oil Project in Alaska and three huge pipelines for natural gas. His energy department is ready to lease 80 million acres of the Gulf of Mexico, twice the area of Florida, for offshore drilling. The U.S. and Europe, which have plundered the world for centuries with the aid of fossil fuels, are at odds with emerging economies, notably China, that want their turn at the plundering. Although China dominates the solar panel and battery industries and soon will dominate offshore wind, it also consumes more than half the world's coal. Over the last year, China approved an average of two new coal-powered plants per week, a source of cheap energy and jobs in a country where youth unemployment exceeds 21%. In July, President Xi Jinping told U.S. climate envoy John Kerry that future cooperation on climate would hinge on U.S. policies on Taiwan and trade. 
All bets will be off if the two superpowers keep sliding toward world war. Oil is the life's blood of their armies, after all. The U.S. military alone consumes more than 100 billion barrels per year. Carrots, sticks, and communism. It's easy for the capitalists to shower clean energy with carrots of subsidies and tax breaks. But no matter how much solar and wind and hydropower is deployed, global warming won't stop until the fossil fuel economy gets mostly dismantled. This can't happen without some big sticks, beginning with a punitive tax on carbon. The issue with sticks is that they hurt certain bosses' profits. With the U.S. ruling class deeply split and the Republican Party significantly controlled by Cook Industries, coal giant Peabody, and other domestic energy interests, Biden's Democrats have little room to maneuver. But the primary obstacles to meaningful climate action are the lack of discipline and a long-range thinking within finance capital, the liberal main wing of global banks and multinational oil companies. Nor is there much appetite for sticks on the world stage. When recent climate summits floated a, quote, phase out of coal or a, quote, phase down of all fossil fuels, they were vetoed by China, India, Brazil, and imperialist Russia, which gets nearly half its revenue from oil and gas. As workers join the mass movement against climate change, we need to be clear that individual actions can't win this monumental battle. It's not nearly enough to compost or recycle or buy an electric vehicle or to vote for a, quote, green politician. The rulers and their callous greed created this crisis. The international working class will solve it. The fight for a sustainable planet can't be set apart from our fight to smash this racist, sexist, profit system that chokes the atmosphere. A communist society, led by Progressive Labor Party, will unleash the technology and creativity we need to forge a new world, one where workers' lives and well-being come first. Join us. We've traveled around this country from shore to shining shore and it really made us angry the things we heard and saw. We saw the garment workers pushing racks for all the stores getting paid two bucks an hour their boss is rich and they are poor but the banks are made of marble with a guard at every door and the vaults are stuffed with silver that the workers sweated for and we've seen the folks on welfare with no clothes or food to Welcome to Challenge Radio. I'm joined by a few comrades to talk about the impending ecological collapse and the connection to capitalism and how the PLP and a worker-led communist movement can put an end to this problem. So um, I just want to start by talking a little bit about how we should understand the origins of the climate change ecological collapse issue. Um, I think that the capitalists really pushed this lie that um, it's this human population growth combined with this insatiable hunger for consumption, and there's really not much they can do about it. They're just giving people what they want, and that just means burning a lot of fossil fuels and creating a lot of trash and waste. Uh, but of course, the Progressive Labor Party, uh, we see this directly connected to the capitalist mode of production. 
So I just wanted to, to ask a little bit about the ways that capitalism has caused this problem and, and how profit was the motivation. As workers and as the working class, we're not in charge of the innovation behind our our energy sources. We don't innovate based on what's best for us. We innovate based on what will profit the bosses more or they they guide innovation in that direction. They fund it that way. They invest in it that way. And and we don't get to decide. And even when we come up with alternative energy sources, there's monopolies and imperialism in place that make sure that those who are already profiting off industries like big oil will continue to profit off those industries, even as we run out of oil. It's not a renewable resource. As Even as alternatives pop up, they continue to be bad for the environment too, because profit dictates things be cheaper, that they be destructive, um, because it's just about cutting corners to make more profit in the end. I happen to be from a place where they produce a lot of pulp and paper, uh, particularly paper straws, which are something that is sold to us as like a way to save the environment. And um, those parts of the world have the most massive air quality warnings because the mills that produce pulp and paper um, are, are massively environmentally destructive. Even as they sell us something that will that we can consume our way out of climate catastrophe, they are furthering climate destruction. And so they will both keep oil at the top as long as it serves them. And then even as they develop alternatives, those alternatives will just be about selling us um, something else. It won't be about actually saving us from from impending climate disaster. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't even think that capitalists are really that interested in fighting climate change. In fact, climate change um, seems to be, at least under capitalism, seems to be fueling their profits. So as fossil fuels become more and more scarce, uh, the fossil fuel companies can rake in billions. New energy uh, sources such as solar, wind, etc., rely on rare earth extraction, which is incredibly profitable and incredibly exploitative of working class, especially in in Africa, in um, Asia. And so it's you know it's just more profit. In fact, it's opening up new areas of extraction for uh, capitalists in the Arctic, for example, there's a race, uh, imperialist race to control the Arctic between the U.S., Russia, um, some of the Scandinavian countries and uh, NATO and, of course, China. So, you know, it's bottom line under capitalism. It's it's all about profit. So whether millions and billions of workers dying or being displaced is absolutely no consequence to capitalists. Their bottom line is always going to be profit. That's a really interesting point about how the as the price goes up, they're making more money. So it's not necessarily a question of cheaper. I think people misunderstand this, that profitable means cheaper. And I think it's important for people to consider what it would mean for oil companies to take on the full cost of what burning oil means. I was just learning that they're pulling uh, home insurance from lots of places in Florida and California as a consequence of climate change. Can you imagine if the oil companies had to foot the bill for the property destruction that the extraction costs? So it's not so much that it's cheap or that it's it's efficient. It's just that they don't have to pay the cost of it. They instead just get to reap the rewards. Exactly. It's it's passed on to the workers. We're the ones who pay the price always. And 
and uh, and un- their profit is generated from our labor period. So there's a way that we tr- start thinking about these resources as existing on their own, right? So it's like, well, if we switch to X energy source, um, it will be better for the planet, but it will still rely on exploitation and primarily racist exploitation and dispossession as well. Um, if we're thinking about indigenous lands, um, these it, it, it will ultimately fall on our backs no matter what it is under capitalism and, and our our lives will be worse as a result. So there might be some temporary fixes even that they're willing to invest in in terms of maybe global climate or or holding temperatures at certain degrees, but they're, they will use our labor and exploit us and kill us to get there. Um, that's interesting. It brings me to my next question. Um, why why not more investment in things like nuclear or um, solar panels? If they're going to make money one way or another, why do they seem so hell-bent on burning every last drop of oil on the planet? Well, again, it's it's easily available. The systems are in place. The infrastructure's in place for them to plunder. I mean, it's they've developed it over the last, like, 150 years, so it's it's something that's already in place so they can make the most money off of it they're going to do wh- what they can do to make the most money for as long as possible and drag it out again whether that affects workers they don't really care so uh i think what what workers should care about is not falling into line with some of these misleaders or liberal fascist ideas that say that we can trust the United Nations or Biden or to do something about it, right? So we can demand that Biden create a, a climate uh, change emergency or climate emergency or demand that Biden tax the rich when, what are they going to do with the taxes they get from the rich? <laughs> They're just going to keep that or put it into imperialist war in Ukraine or in West Africa or wherever they want to send the, the drones next. But um, it's it's really, we can't listen to those or, or believe those liberal fascist lies that are saying that the same people who created the crisis are somehow going to save us from it. But now, wait a second. I I thought the Democrats trusted the science and they actually are taking this seriously. You're telling me that's not true? I mean... You know, it's a good it's a good slogan, I guess. But come on, <laughs> I think it's one of the things we want to believe in the most because, as people, we spend most of our day interacting with other people. As workers, we spend most of our time interacting with other workers, and that's that's a social relationship built on like basic sort of uh, social ideas. We talk to each other, we reason with each other, but the system itself can't be reasoned with. And and the things that drive it, the interests that drive it can't be reasoned with. Um, I think about in Canada, in, in the province of British Columbia, they they have social democrats in power. They're, they're called the, the New Democratic Party. And that's the line that the DSA and other people will sell you. If you just get the right people in there, they'll do the right thing. But those are the people who have authorized pipelines running through uh, all kinds of territory up north. They've expanded fossil fuel industries, and they've done so because of monopoly. Those oil barons will hold a national economy hostage. They'll say, we'll pull it. If you, we'll, 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 cri- we'll cripple your economy. 
if you don't let us build these pipelines, if you don't do this. So all the people who cry over climate change, who shed the tears, all these electoral um, liberal fascists, they will do this. They will they will say one thing, but then when they will get in office, and they will be forced to fold to capital and its interests in the long run. They will choose capital over us every time because they have to, and they will use fascism to enforce it. Um, and so I think that it, it's one of those lies that we as workers need to not fall for. It's really tempting. We want to reason with it, but it can't be reasoned with. It, it, it can only be be fought, abolished, and replaced. Yeah, there were a couple of details in the editorial which were just uh, astounding, and people should really be aware. The, the uh, next UN Climate Summit is going to be chaired by a head of a state-owned energy company, the UEAE. I mean, how could we possibly take that seriously? And then, of course, despite whatever promises he made during his campaign, Biden's opening up the the Alaska to a bunch of new oil drilling, offshore oil drilling. So they really just they they, they have no problems uh, breaking these promises. Okay, so there there is this economic component about profit, and, I, and that that of course leads to um, imperialism. So one of the themes in the paper has been the. This crisis of capitalism, this decaying capitalism is moving us towards fascism and world war. So there's this political component to this problem as well. Um, and the, the paper sort of suggested that even the modest reforms that maybe were possible a generation or two ago are no longer possible because of this de- decaying capitalism. Um, I'm wondering how this applies to climate change in particular. Well, I think if if you look at, at the inter-imperialist rivalry going on right now in the world between the U.S., Russia, and China in particular, you see many points of conflict and points of future conflict that could be catastrophic. And of course, a lot of that is fueled by fossil fuels. So whether it's fighting over gas pipelines and and oil exportation uh, in terms of Russia, uh, Ukraine, uh, looking at rare earth um, extraction in Africa and the race for rare earth minerals uh, mining, um, especially in, in Central and West Africa. Looking at uranium, uh, which being a, a major uh, component or behind um, the coup in Niger. Uh, so all of these different energy sources, whether it's fossil fuel or so-called grain, uh, are still being fought over by the imperialists and their fighting leads to wars. And who do they want to fight these wars is workers. So it's workers who end up paying the cost for this uh, inter-imperialist rivalry. And ultimately, we we still under capitalism, we don't control the energy sources. So we, we don't get to say, you know, who gets uranium or how it gets exploited or how it gets turned into nuclear. We, that's why we need a revolution, a communist revolution to get rid of these people in this system that is killing us. A thing that we always have to keep in mind about the system is it's, it's tendency towards monopoly and that tendency also being the tendency towards war because to dominate an industry, you're, you're going to require war. At some point, you're going to have to you're going to require violently enforcing it at some point, Um, especially as these resources uh, occur in not 
the nation state that's currently dominating the world. They're going to have to invade another one. They're going to have to secure those profits some way. So it, whether it's oil or whether they switch to nuclear or whether um, they, they will compete to dominate whatever industry replaces oil at the end, like like the war part of monopoly is sort of inevitable. And and it doesn't matter it, whether it's the big fascists or this, it's going to more likely be the big fascists than the small fascists, frankly. Um, they are more interested in that sort of do- world domination um, through, and they will use war to get there. Um, they will use a multiracial coalition of us to get there. They um, they will sell it to us as our salvation as we go to die for it. So I think as we as they have a tendency towards monopoly, they're going to try to dominate whatever industry comes next, even if it is about avoiding climate change. War will be at the end of that crisis. That's that's really well said. I think that most Americans are unaware to the degree to which oil really is the power and money at the top of our political economic system. I mean, since World War II, the all of the oil in the world is traded in US dollars. And that was that was something that the US capitalists demanded after World War II and they had the power to do so. And you know, I think people know now that one of the ways the United States solves its internal economic crisis is by printing tons of money. And that's made possible because every country in the world has to have U.S. dollars in the reserves so they can buy oil on the international market. Um, and speaking of how that leads to war, one of the things that Saddam Hussein was trying to do before the war in Iraq was um, enter into relationships with countries to sell oil, not U.S. dollars. This is just something they could not allow because once the once it breaks and I'll, everyone starts doing it, all of this power and all this money that sort of fuels the U.S. empire is going to be um, taken away and they'll have to they'll be much more expensive and much more difficult for them to run the world as they're used to doing i just want to add that they they did the same thing with Gaddafi. the u.s and nato intervened um in 2011 when he was starting to to move away from the petrodollar because of that intervention they've had civil war for like 12 years after still in the wreck by civil war which made the recent floods that much more devastating where they're talking about 20,000 people lost in a couple days 20,000 people lost in a couple of days that's the scale of destruction that capitalism unleashes and to think that these capitalists will come up with a solution to this is just it's 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 a deadly notion that we we really can't allow ourselves to subscribe to it's where it's where china comes in too and and bricks and and editorials uh importantly sort of points out in some of the the investments in coal and things but i think even as uh one of the big threats of china and and the big threats of bricks is this alternative to the u.s dollar as well like this is part of that rising tension is they're building a block this is inter-imperialist rivalry we 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 have two imperialist nations competing over who will have kind of hegemonic control of the world, and it's really um, again um, our comrades already said it, but it's really important. Like whenever we think about this competition and war, like who will fight it? It will be us. We will be the ones who fight it, and we will. It, it will never be for our benefit. We will do it for them, and we will die for them. And in the end. 
uh, the world will be worse off. And so I think that it's it's really important that we not fall for their ploys and lies right now. And and we we fight instead for for communist revolution. I agree. Yeah, as another example, you know, the Biden promised he was going to hold um, the Saudi Arabian ruling class accountable, that there's going to be accountability over the murder of Khashoggi and all this stuff. And of course, China pays a visit to Saudi Arabia. They seem to be getting really close. I just read in the Wall Street Journal that the United States is going to be promising them a NATO-type security agreement. So U.S. working class people will go to die to protect the Saudi ruling class. And whatever war they do with Yemen next, or maybe be Iran, who knows? Um, but that's the extent they'll go to to make sure that oil continues to be traded in U.S. dollar, and they'll have to give up more and more and more as capitalism declines. They'll have to give up more and more and more, and as China rises, they'll be scared into doing all these things. Energy and climate change are definitely one of the biggest reasons that's driving this interpolist rivalry and pushing us towards war. And yeah, like you said, it'll be working class people who die, not just Americans, but uh, Chinese working class peoples, uh, Russian working class people, Saudi, Saudis, all, you know, the list goes on. I think that we should talk a little bit about a solution because I, you know, I think a lot of people have moved from in denial to maybe disgust and now they're feeling, now it's, now they've moved to cynicism. They feel it's hopeless and there's not much they could do about it. Uh, but I don't think that's true. I think that we can stop this problem. But we can't stop it with half measures. So what what does the PLP believe the working class is capable of doing in this situation? Our our line ha- has always been, and and it's it's just a truth. We we already run the world. We all we already do it. Um this is this is not beyond our capability. And it's it's not enough to sort of follow some of the pacifist lines of like don't just um, conscientious objection, just refuse to participate. I think I've seen a lot of like live otherwise, but that's not possible under fascism, which is what's what will be used to make this work. Like as as the world is flooded with sort of refugees and and the need to have these industries enforced, like fat and and to have us join wars, fascism will be used to do that. And and the big fascists, the liberal bosses, they will be the ones. To, to use that to achieve. So it's not enough for us to to think that we can sort of just passively object our way out of it. We will be forced to do it at some point. Um, they will not, they will stop asking permission eventually. And that's a lesson from history, not just some strange premonition or <laughs> or prediction. That's just, that's how they operate as as capitalist bosses. I think the the, the key is that we understand that revolution is necessary to achieve our ends and it's not impossible it's not impossible because history tells us it's not if it it would never have happened as many times as it has happened if it wasn't possible but it requires step one which is joining a party that's that's the first step yeah that's why we say the only solution is a communist revolution because these half steps, these half measures, these like token gestures are just empty and just forestalling the inevitable. And we will take state power. We will rise up. We will organize ourselves as workers across borders. Um, you can see already the seeds of that happening. And as the comrade said, it's happened in the past. It will happen again. And it may happen sooner than we think. 
<laughs> because, you know, it's really starting to hit the fan now in terms of, of uh, these climate disasters. Like every week there's a new warrant and millions, if not billions of people are being pushed out of their homes. So we're going to get sick of this. And the, the war that the capitalists have brought on us, we didn't ask for it. They're the ones that started it. They're the ones that have created it. Well, we will use that war to turn it against them. That's that's our destiny as workers. And I think it's I think an additional thing about the half steps and half measures that we that we as the working class have to understand, which is that those half steps and half measures, they not only do not solve the problem, their purpose is in fact to prevent us from doing just that. Prevent us from from doing what we need to do as the working class to to actually have a planet and and a place to live and a future at all. I I think a really great example from the editorial is that okay now they they give they'll give you a climate summit but guess what the most giant oil barons in the world are going to host it and they will they will control what happens out of it on a really small scale. Uh, there is a. A little uh, reform project at Rutgers University in Newark where they give scholarships to like working class and poor black and brown students and they name their cohort every year of these students and they name them after PSE&G Energy Group one year. Um, and it turns out that was because PSE&G Energy was um, uh, poisoning black and brown communities somewhere else and so they donated some money to get out. Like they will always co-opt this and this will always work in service of them so these half steps and half measures they're not just not enough they are there to keep the system going and they are there to continue the devastation to our class and to prevent us from adequately fighting back against it so i, I think it's it's not just that it's not enough we have to toss these half measures we have to commit to something that's for our class by our class and that's a communist revolution that's really well said. Um, do we want to take a couple of minutes to talk about after we've taken control and the working class is in charge, the kind of decisions we would make around energy? I think people are, you know, there's some people talking about degrowth and, you know, a, a huge loss of energy. Are people going to stay warm? Are we going to have things people need to survive? What's that going to look like? I mean, I don't think we know yet. Obviously, I, I think it's premature to come up with solutions under capitalism we need to get this revolution started that's the first step and we won't be able to control the outcomes until we have uh, capitalism destroyed as long as capitalism exists even in its dying gasp it will try and undermine any efforts we have to save workers but i do think whatever comes after uh in terms of dealing with uh climate disaster and, and change it will be something that has to involve democratic centralism work workers collectively deciding and i think it, it needs to also prioritize indigenous workers understanding of the earth and and history of shepherding the planet i, th I think no matter what happens post-revolution or in the future. I think when, one thing that makes it really difficult to imagine is all of the ways we understand 
energy even like if we just look at that is through a capitalist the capitalist construction of it it's hard to imagine what it might be like to make choices for society literally based on the best interests of people like just if that was what we were deciding I imagine nuclear would become an option. The reason nuclear has fallen the way it has is because it was nuclear under capitalism, which made it unsafe. And But capitalism is what made it unsafe. It's actually a viable option for energy, uh, for clean energy. Basically, scientifically, it is a viable option. But capitalism has, has made it really difficult because of how dangerous it is for workers and communities when profit is what's driving it. I think that degrowth is a... Degrowth is not how we will feed and sustain the masses. Part of what it means to be in, in, in an organization like PLP, it means understanding yourself as a member of the international working class. And I, I'm not interested in locally prospering while everybody else starves. That's, that's not an interest I have personally, and it's not an interest I, I have any of my comrades have providing for everybody be in an organized way in a in a way that is does have democratic centralism putting workers first means putting everyone first and it means considering the masses first always so i think in in any future degrowth is not the option we we are able to mass produce for everybody we are able to provide for everybody and it would just be able to happen on an international scale in ways it's never been able to before and that might mean some more localized stuff. Um, but I think that the answer right now is not to isolate ourselves from from our, our international siblings. It's it's quite the opposite. So um I do understand that degrowth is trendy as as an option, but I, I don't think it's the future if you are an internationalist and if you're committed to every member of this class. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that if workers actually have the power an equal measure across the planet, then the decisions will have to reflect the interests of all, all people. And that will mean, you know, like we we're talking about with the profit system, all of the consequences of burning fossil fuels, they're dumped on people who don't have a choice about it. And that cannot happen anymore. So the, the needs for production will be balanced with the needs for people to have a livable environment to uh, avoid, um, you know, icebergs melting and forest fires and all these things that are a consequence we'll have to take all those things into consideration and that's a paradigm we just have not yet had before um, but that is what we're aiming for to consider everything and figure out what's best for everyone all right any any last words or closing comments join plp <laughs> and i mean i mean that seriously join join the part join join this party communist become a communist i think it's tough in a in the post-cold war era to understand communism for what it is and to also really fervently believe in in each other in the working class like making that who you center your whole politics around is is a difficult choice to make but it's the best choice it's the best choice to make so yeah join plp we need a party to get this done it can't just be through wishful thinking or you know um holding hands. We need organization. We need workers to be organized and we need to give leadership to the working class. And the only way to do that is, right now is through PLP because 
we're the only party that's talking about the international working class and organizing workers across borders. All right. Well, I want to thank you, both of you, for providing leadership to the working class by coming on the podcast and talking about this. Um, if listeners want more information, um, they can go to our website, plp.org. They can check us out on Instagram and Twitter, or I guess now it's X at uh, PLP Challenge. I mean, thank you both so much. This was great. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good one. Fight back while